0: This episode is brought to you by AudioQuest, makers of the Dragonfly range of USB DACs. Click to audioquest.com for
1: more information.
0: It's another Darko Audio podcast. It's another Dark Eye Audio podcast with Michael Lavonia phoning it in from New Jersey. Welcome back, Michael.
1: Good to be here in the barn, which I, I just
0: want to clarify is at ground level. But I did just give you a little bit of an insult there by saying you're phoning it in. <laughs> anyway (laughs) that's an old man joke too by the way yeah i'm full of old man jokes anyway (laughs) we should get straight into it because we are going to talk about the munich high-end show that took place well last weekend here Hmm. in germany before we do that i would like to tackle some some news items that have come up in the last few weeks actually one of them in the last couple of days because dcs the, I guess the, one of the world's high end, well, the best known high end manufacturers of DACs and CD transports have thrown a bit of a curveball our way in the form of a new product, which is actually three products called the Mm -hmm. DCS Lena. So it's a three box headphone listening station. I call it a station because it's three boxes. So it's a, a streaming DAC and then an external clock for that streaming DAC and then a headphone amplifier. And I think pricing comes in pretty close, all three, for 30,000 euros. Do I have that right, Michael? Roughly that?
1: Uh, yeah, it is. It's 29, roughly 29K US.
0: Right. Now, I look at this and go, okay, 30 grand for a streaming headphone station. Mm. The What I foresee is like anybody wanting to review this, wh- I, I kind of ask myself, what are they going to compare it to? Because obviously comparisons give us better insight into the value quotient of a product, right? And value can be at two hundred bucks. It can exist at thirty grand. It just needs to be that thirty grand product. Just needs to be far, far better than say other products close to that price point. But when I start to think about streaming DAC headphone solutions Mm. that sell for thirty thousand euros, I, I I can't come up blank a little bit.
1: Yeah, uh, I do as well. I mean, the DCS talk <laughs> comes to mind,
0: right? But that's a little bit cheaper, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's twi- with the headphone,
1: uh, with the built-in headphone amp, which is optional. It's roughly twenty k. Mm. Yeah, the Bartok is twenty k. Yeah,
0: right. So, I guess if you took the yeah the Lena streaming DAC, skipped out on the clock, and just got the headphone amp as well, you'd have something that's comparable to the bus price-wise. But I I, I really can't think of anything else. I mean, this is not, I don't really keep tabs on sort of, well, maybe there's that new MyTech Empire, which is a streaming server, headphone amp, preamp, I think phono pre, just all in one everything. I think that's going to be about 25,000 euros. Am I right on that? Um. Yeah.
1: I'll say yes. I'm not, I'm actually not positive. Mm. I can look it up, but, um, let's say yes for, as a placeholder, yeah, but it's,
0: it, it's, it's in the ballpark, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it is. And it, that
1: yeah. the, yeah the empire, in it's kind of unusual in that it can act as both the rune core and a rune endpoint.
0: Yes. Yes. So it's, it's, ev- I mean, it's an all in one play box. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it really is everything all in one. So that would be something you might want to compare the DCS Lena to Mm-hmm. Actually, I should add, because this is just news in today, that a software update for the Bartok is being rolled out, I think, on Tuesday of next week. So if you're a Bartok owner, you're getting a new update. And I think it, it updates the way that the, the data is sent to the Ring DAC. I think DCS call this the mapping topology of the DAC. So it mm. updates that. I think some of the filters have been updated as well. And then obviously there'll be a, an accompanying and accompanying I can't even say it and accompanying <laughs> update <laughs> to the mosaic app as well. So there's a lot going on with DCS at the moment. But something you reported on with your Lena news piece, which I completely missed. I'm sorry, I missed it. Hmm. Was that it's being Lena is being sold at least partially direct from DCS to the consumer. It is, and that's uh, that's
1: kind of fascinates me for any number of reasons. Mm. Um, one being, and this, I I guess I'm just behind the, behind the curve, uh, that there are people out there that will just click buy it now, uh, for something that has a price tag of nearly $30,000, you know, but it's done, you know, and it's done all over and it's done outside of Mm hi-fi. I mean, one easy example, um, Sotheby's the auction house uh, it, you know sells direct online now uh, buy it now stuff not auction huh. and these things are in the, you know they're big numbers it's tens of thousands of dollars and people uh, clearly there's a market out there for you know for it so that that's that so yeah d- they're selling this direct um yeah it's, it's kind of fascinating
0: yeah i've got mates in australia who You know, earn pretty decent money, and when I mean decent, I mean I don't want to specify exactly, but it's hundreds of thousands per year. Yeah. Who would go? Yeah, I'll have Alina. Thank you very much. Bang, buy it. But I guess it's it's a bit of a disruptive move in some ways because DCS has been very much staunchly dealer distributor based until now. But I I guess things are changing. Um, The market is changing, and I guess they have to adapt accordingly. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if you're a DCS dealer, you might look at this move and maybe feel a little bit nervous. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. I would think so, yeah. Well, you've just
1: been cut out of the loop. And I understand that uh, there was there was an earlier move by DCS that kind of precipitated this. And that is mm. that, you know, as uh, I mentioned, the Bartok, the headphone amp was, is an option in or out. Yeah. Yeah. And some time ago, DCS pulled the the headphone amp op, um, version out of the dealer network and began to sell that direct.
0: I didn't know that. Okay.
1: Uh, so that if you wanted the Bartok as a he- and headphone amp, it, it, you could get it th- online through a number of, you know, buy it now kind of places. Um, and dealers were left with a Bartok sans headphone amp. So mm. yeah, it's kind of an odd... Well, I don't know. Odd. I shouldn't say odd. I don't know. I obviously don't know what they're thinking. They know much better than I do about their business model. I would but maybe assume, they've
0: so. they've sort of they've worked out that some retailers are better at selling headphone products than others. So I did notice on Instagram that yes. is it Headphone Store Amsterdam uh, has Alina ready f- for you know people to walk in and listen to. So yeah. do Zeppelin and Co in Singapore. So maybe it's just direct plus selected retailers who do get the whole headphone thing, know how to talk to headphone customers and I guess essentially move units, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the
1: headphone uh, I I don't, you know, I don't cover headphones, it's not my thing, but I have spoken to some dealers about, you know, the headphone what's it like, you know, it's a, the headphone market and what I've heard from a few dealers is people come in Listen to headphones and leave and go shop online. <laughs> you know, it's it's wow. a tough it's a tough thing because most headphones are available um, you know, online.
0: Well, they are, and I guess it's really tough to compete with somebody like headphones.com who ship globally with 365-day returns. That's not a yes. plug for them. That's just me still in amazement that they can offer that as a as a return policy. I think that's insanely generous, but it obviously works for them. And I think more power to them if they, you know, that works, it works, it benefits the consumer and them. So essentially everybody wins apart from, I guess, the local distributor, whoever that may be. So I guess those kinds of retailers just dealing now direct with the manufacturer. And so maybe it's the distributors that are being squeezed out. I don't know. I mean, and it's a politically sensitive area, isn't it? I mean, it is, but
1: uh, yeah. And the dealer as well. So, you know, also you have to, or I have to wonder, uh, so this obviously the the DAC is also a streamer. So that means people are going to be plugging this into their network mm-hmm. and expecting it to work. That's the idea. When you mm-hmm. would buy you know any product, streaming product from a dealer, if stuff didn't work, if you were having problems, where would you go? You would go to your dealer. And say, hey man, like you know it's not seeing my server or blah blah blah. You know mm-hmm. any number of potential issues you can have when people when you're dealing with the network. If you buy something direct, I wonder where you go. For help i well you go to dcs so i must i'd have to assume that they've um anticipated you know some amount of troubleshooting
0: right i mean i think w- well especially if you're running i mean they don't run a wi-fi aerial inside these products i don't think i think they just ethernet so yeah. having to troubleshoot somebody's network issues it probably is not going to be too common if it was wi-fi i would be like yeah good luck with that Yeah, because then you sure. have, to, have to deal with all sorts of issues but i think ethernet is is probably a little bit easier but yeah they, I, I mean they will have budgeted for that they probably have a dedicated tech support person who deals with mm. all these issues um especially for a 30 grand product i mean you you want sort of five-star service on that
1: yeah yeah yes and i would assume that uh, you know the being at that price point and being DCS, perhaps I, I'm maybe this is <laughs> the wrong road to go down, but I'd assume that some customers will be older and not as comfortable, you know, with computer networking, blah blah blah. Mm. blah so,
0: yeah, maybe I don't know. I mean, I met a guy in, in Munich who was who just we were just chatting, and he's like, "Yeah, I've got two Sennheiser HE ones at home," and now yeah. for people that don't know what that is, that's the all-in-one uh amplifier i think dac as well with the headphones attached it it's where the the tubes sort of when you turn it on the tubes sort of emerge from the base in a sort of a star trek fashion it, i mean it looks super cool and mm. i think it's did itself for 50 grand or something like that maybe even 150 i'm mm. I, i'm hazy on the pricing because it's years since i've seen one but the fact he has two and i was like why why do you have two he's like yeah i've got one in my lounge one in my bedroom he's obviously a wealthy dude came yeah. to munich and was like yeah i'm going to buy that that and that because For him, that kind of money is play money. Yes. And even though that's not me or you, I sort of have to, well, we'll get to this eventually, but I have to sort of respect it as existing. It's, I mean, as I've always said, one man's ceiling is another man's floor. Mm -hmm. I mean, that guy is operating several stories above where I operate, but it doesn't mean it's not valid. And you could fling all sorts of insults his way as like careless, frivolous, all that kind of stuff. But it's it's his Uh money. And I would never be so arrogant to to try and tell him what to do with his money, or to say that he's yeah. stupid. It's not my business; it's his business. <laughs> right? Imagine, Leo, imagine somebody you know following you around in, in the food store saying, hey, "You're an idiot if you're going to pay that much for that cheese." You know, <laughs> <laughs> online life is like that, isn't it? You know, you, <laughs> yes. you, you like something; it's to may cost a little bit more, but there's going to be like a hundred people lining up behind you to tell you how you could get that thing better and cheaper somewhere else. Uh, it's just. You just have to kind of live with that and just tune that noise out. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like weeds in a lawn. I mean, it's inevitable. Yes, it really is, yeah. So you just have to kind of, yeah, pluck them out every now and again. Anyway, let's let's move on to something entirely more affordable. Uh, this is a product that will, a, pro- a range of speakers that was announced by Berlin's Adam Audio, I think, uh, end of April. I only got this news maybe mid-May. Um, and it's basically their new range of a series active loudspeakers. Now, Adam mm-hmm. audio, their reputation uh, as a pro audio monitor manufacturer is, is solid, but this new series of speakers caught my eye, not just because it's, you know, class D amplification inside and there's a, a, well, they call it an XR tweeter, but it's actually an air motion transformer. I don't mm-hmm. know why they don't call it an AMT driver. I've got no idea. But that is powered by a, a class AB amplifier. So the mid-bass driver in these things is class D, tweeters class AB. So tick and tick for the purists out there who want class AB on their tweeter in their mm-hmm. active speakers, right? But the thing is about these this series of loudspeakers, and there's, there's about five of them. There's a four-inch, a seven-inch. There are a couple of uh, speakers that lay on their side. The design really designed for studios but i'm really focusing on here on the, the seven inch the a7v i think it's called v is for vertical um is that the they have an ethernet port and so that's not it's not for streaming right it's it's for right. accessing the dsp inside mm-hmm. so you can adjust the the eq and they have optional voicings and which can also be accessed on the back but they have this thing called the a control app which can then talk to the speakers but what i thought was really really cool was if you are a SonarWorks user, so SonarWorks is room correction software, if you've already got that, you can measure your room and then upload the correction filter into the speaker Hmm. so that everything that comes through that speaker gets corrected. So even if you've connected a turntable to the back of the speaker, it still gets room corrected. And I think the A7V, €1,400 a pair. It's a complete hi-fi system in a box save the streamer with room correction I, th- I think that's pretty convincing or pretty compelling
1: yeah yeah i Are agree you? yes mm. yeah to clarify it's got um yeah there's no dac um inside these speakers they're they're analog there's balanced and single-ended inputs right a single input per on each speaker uh, so each speaker has um you know all the has its own amplification and
0: but there must be a DAC inside there has to be because if an analog signal comes into the back it's going to be converted using an ADC to digital right then DSP absolutely yeah I should have said
1: there aren't um digital inputs that's what I right. meant to say yeah
0: yeah sorry I'm I kind of blasted through all of that didn't I <laughs> with all, all the <laughs> yeah it does this and blah and this and blah but basically it was just I mean I I wrote about it on my site even though traditionally we we both cover home audio traditionally Adam is seen as a pro audio speaker, but yeah, which is kind of funny to me.
1: It's it is it's silly. I own the previous uh, version, the what's called the AX series. I own the A3X mm-hmm. and have uh, for ten years, and uh, they sit on my desktop, and they're they're absolutely wonderful in every way. I, I could right. not. Uh, there's not a. A day that goes by where I think, oh, maybe I should upgrade these. Uh, ne- never in ten in ten years. So, I mean, I'm all on board. I would like to, I, you know, I'm I'm curious about these, new, you know, this new one because of the features you're describing, the room correction. Mm. There's a, there are also a number of preset um, presets on the back, just uh, engage with buttons. One for desktop,
0: right? And they've also changed. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Because they've they've changed the voicing of the speaker, apparently compared to the previous range right but what they've done is to to appease people like you michael the ax diehards (laughs) is they put a pure setting on the back so if you want to switch the speaker over into a voicing that makes it sound more like the old ax series you can do that right but that was designed i think for more for more of a flatter more accurate take on music but i think this new this new what's it called uniform natural response that's the default profile right Mm. I think I think they're trying to just maybe nudge it away a little bit from that sort of perceived notion of being sort of straight down the line accurate. But it, it is a perceived notion. I mean, all, no speaker is accurate, none of them. Mm. <laughs> I just, uh, but <clears throat> I, I just thought this was interesting because it's not only an active speaker, but it, it talks to Sonarworks' room correction, which you have to have a license for, which is €300, Euros, so that doesn't come cheap. Mm. But Sonarworks is, I think, the de facto standard for room correction in the pro audio space. It isn't Dirac, I don't think. It's definitely not room perfect from Lingdorf. Shall we move on to the the next thing? Now, the next thing was actually announced on the first day of Munich. I do want to come back to this a bit Mm. later as to the timing of the announcement I want to talk about but it's a new CD player from Marantz called the CD60. And yeah, it's it's an entry-level CD player. It's styled in a similar fashion to the 40N streaming amplifier that was released, what, three or four months ago. And it plays CDs, (laughs) but I have, I have seen a lot of coverage on this CD player that talks about its USB capabilities. Hmm. Now, when I dug into this, because I thought, okay, USB, that means you can hook a USB source into the back, but no, what USB capabilities refers to is a USB A type socket on the front that allows you to connect a hard drive. And then ah. it will play the content from that. So There's a little bit, yeah, it's a little bit misleading the way that some, well, some mags have covered this, or maybe they haven't quite understood it. I don't know. Mm. So now, in the past, whenever I've experienced a-, a DAC or a streamer that plays directly from a USB device, I would say 50% play gaplessly and 50% don't. Mm. Um, and so um, that's that was the first thing I asked myself. was like, well, I wonder if this plays gaplessly or not. Because if it does, that's kind of cool. It's a nice value-add feature. But Morantz haven't stopped there because they've also added a dedicated headphone amplifier to this CD player. And I don't think it's just an afterthought. Mm-hmm. I think it's a proper multi-gain stage amp, and it features their what are they called HDAM circuitry, yes. which is which is basically little little modules that Marantz have designed that, that stand in for integrated circuit op amps that other manufacturers would would use. Mm. So I think that's quite interesting, especially as this is an entry-level CD player. I think it's going to sell for about eight hundred bucks uh 999 US so it's CD player it's a USB storage device streamer so I guess there's going to be an app with that I don't know how that what that's going to look like mm. and it's a headphone amplifier so what makes that interesting is that not all CD players coming to market below a grand offer that degree of functionality I don't think
1: yeah it also has digital outs um mm-hmm. you know in case you want to use your own Deck. but would you say that's fairly standard though on a, on a cd player digital outputs i'll say yes although
0: <laughs> I, I, i'll just say yes yeah shit yeah yeah okay well let's move to the sort of the the big well not if it's not even a story is it it's just that i went to munich last <laughs> week it's not even an event it's just that i took a train ride to munich <laughs> uh, I, I changed my mind about going to the, the high-end show Because numbers started to dip. I was very nervous because Bavaria had dropped its mask mandate a few weeks prior, which basically left organizers of the the show unable to implement their own. They couldn't have done that. So what what happened eventually was that, or ultimately, was that most exhibitors didn't require a mask because it could have been decided at exhibitor level. So I did see some rooms where there was a sign on the door saying, please wear a mask, but they were very few and far between. So this is a a massive event. It brings in, I don't know, thousands of people every day. I don't want to guess how many at this year's event. Mm. But the first two days were trade only. So that for me was like perfect. I thought I'll just go to those and then I'll just bail out once the, the doors are open to a broader audience on Saturday and Sunday. And it actually wasn't crazy busy. Thursday was. Friday was a bit quieter, mainly because of, I think, the heat. Because Hmm. it was 32 degrees, so 32 degrees Celsius. What's that? 95 in American money. That's right. In American money, yes. Right, 95, (laughs) yeah, degrees Fahrenheit, something like that. Which is pretty warm. And it was, as you know, inside the MOC, the Exhibition Center. It's got a glass roof, and Hmm. well, held up by a metallic structure. So it just gets so hot in there. It was very, very uncomfortable in the afternoon, but. Thankfully, it wasn't crazy busy, so it was still just about doable. Um, but this is an enormous hi-fi show. It's the world's biggest. The halls downstairs, nice and open and airy, were much cooler. That's where we see manufacturers mainly with passive ex- exhibits, right? So they have a stand with their branding on it, and they have their products on a table or a platform, and they are there to field questions and just talk about their product to anybody that comes by their booth, right? And I like that because it's social. And it's, it's chatty Hmm. and I like to talk to people, you know, so (laughs) I, I find it, I would rather do that than listen. And I I know this is a drum I've beaten so many times over the years, especially in recent years, but I don't go to shows to listen because it's kind of futile. Like you can't make any value judgment, anything that's reasonable or that anything that's would be informative or helpful to an audience. Hmm. So I think when you kind of go, Oh, that sounds wonderful. you are really just, I guess you're blowing smoke up the manufacturer's skirt. In, <laughs> in fact, in fact, <clears throat> I had this great conversation <laughs> with Dali. So my friend, Terry Ellis, who's a YouTuber in London was, was there. And he was, he phoned me yesterday going, John, you, it was really funny. Cause you, was, you was giving Dali a really hard time. I know. It's like, well, I wasn't. But Dali were talking about their new core loudspeaker, right? This is one of the big stories of Munich. It's this enormous floor stander, I think 70,000 British pounds it's going to sell for when it goes on sale. It's taller than you, Michael. I know that's hard to believe. (laughs) (laughs) And it even weighs more than you. (laughs) No, that's not possible. (laughs) It's this enormous floor standing speaker, right? And the guy was telling me, like he was talking me through it. He's like, yeah, we had this demo yesterday and everybody said it sounded great. I said to him, but yeah, but to be fair, no one's going to tell you it sounds horrible. Not in your room, at, you know, <laughs> at your demo. They're just not going to do that, are they? So, you know, I know that when people give feedback, it's just, of course, they're going to say nice things because it's good manners. Hmm. But when you're reporting on a website to an audience, you don't, those good good manners rules don't apply. And I just, I just don't think it's helpful to be reporting on sound quality to your audience because, it, well, for the for the reasons I've gone over many times in the past: unfamiliar room, unfamiliar music, unfamiliar un- ancillary hardware, noise in the room, talking. As we know, in many of the listening rooms, the door is always banging, you know, as it mm. bangs shut as people you know come in and out. It's just not conducive to listening at all. Not really. Anyway, so that's my well, that's one of my sort of hobby horse issues. dealt with. There's there's going to be more, but those Dali core speakers were, I guess, a big story at Munich. I mean, people were talking about them. The other one, the other big speaker was, well, not quite as big. This was probably more the same height as your grandma, Michael, (laughs) Um, came from Monitor Audio. It's called the Concept 50. It uses, I think, two pairs of force-cancelling Side firing woofers in each speaker, so we've heard of that recently from KEF Monitor Audio are doing it a different way because they're firing the drivers at each other with a sort of a column and a column of air down the middle, hmm. and then mounted to the front is like this, almost like a spider's eye with I think seven other drivers, including a ribbon tweeter right in the middle. So this is a, a wacky speaker to look at from a, from an engineering point of view. It's a bit bit out there, but I love that they've done it because I, I guess from their point of view it shows what's possible Mm -hmm. from monitor audio. Right. And I think maybe monitor audio had been pigeonholed as a bit of a, an entry level budget loudspeaker company. And maybe they don't want to be seen that way any longer or not entirely. Maybe they want to stretch their legs a little bit. So they've got this concept 50, 50 grand shipping, I think towards the end of the year, Mm. but those were the sort of the two big news stories. I think that dominated the conversation, but, beyond that show because of their price points 70 grand or 50 grand I have nothing more to say about them I'll, I'll never review them because of their well, because they're, they're so expensive and for the reasons we just spoke about with the Dcs Lena if you're going to review a 70 grand speaker you kind of really need another 70 grand speaker to compare it to to give you some context as to you know what the value proposition is from the monitor audio or the DALI, right I, I think that's yeah reasonable.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, I agree with that approach. Yes, it's always good to have a um, similar uh, product in function and price so that you can offer, you know, an idea of, of yeah, relative value. How does the thing stack up against the competition?
0: Right. I mean, in an ideal world, you'd have three or four different speakers like that. And I don't know many mags that could do it. Maybe what hi fi in the UK could pull that off? Because they've got lots of hardware kicking about all the time, I assume. Mm. But most sort of reviewers that operate from home and not from offices, they just there's no space for that. I couldn't do it. I couldn't in a million years could I do that. Uh, so I could. <laughs> you could. So this is the thing, right? So that mm. DALI core I mm. think is right up your street. Yeah. You no, know, it's 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 large and you're one of the few reviewers that I know of who has the space to accommodate it and do it justice.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's just the, yeah, it is the case. And even logistically, this, you know, because uh, this is a separate structure, I have ground level. It's not a basement. Contrary <laughs> to some rumors out there. Now, I, so I have this oversized garage door, you know, mm-hmm. which comes into play. So when, when large things arrive, uh, drivers, they can drop their liftgate onto the slab. Ah, uh, okay. Um, that's so pretty this, useful, yeah 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 i mean there's no steps there's no anything so they're in and out of here in a few minutes um and things are ready to roll so i mean it does whatever i mean it is ju- it is a thing i mean if you're on like a fifth floor walk up mm. and you get a uh, 600 pound delivery on a pallet you've got a lot of work ahead of you <laughs> that's all there's to it yeah
0: i mean even but get moving them from that plate that they get delivered to hmm. to the listing position i mean that's a, that's a fair amount of work for you
1: yes it is but thankfully i've got a lot of warehouse experience john
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes you do yes <laughs> well i don't know I'm, just, I'm not saying you need a tall person to help you it can't be me <laughs> but i'm just saying that you might need somebody else there just to yes make sure you don't get lost behind one of the drivers <laughs> fall in the box and can't get out actually the dali did have on display the drivers separated out right so that the Mm. the base driver Mm. it's heavy and it's huge like it's it's like the size of a small dog (laughs) and and weighs more i mean it's it i mean it's a serious speaker but yeah like i say there aren't many reviewers on the planet who could tackle it and um i hope you do because it yeah would never come my way Let's move on to another observation that I made, and this relates to IAG. So IAG is the, the Chinese com- company, corporation. Mm. I was about to say comporation, <laughs> so we'll go with that. The Chinese corporation that own Mission, Wharfdale, Audio Lab, um, Quad. So a lot of the British brands, Castle, mm. and yeah, in, in Munich, they were showing a whole bunch of speakers and electronics that really speak to the sort of 70s revival vibe that they've been pushing for the last couple of years. Hmm. So we've seen the Wharfdale, is it Denton, Linton? And then a few months ago, we hmm. saw the Mission 770, which we talked about on this podcast. Yeah, There's now a smaller version of that speaker. I think it might be called the 700, but I could be wrong. There's an amplifier that goes with it, which looks like a vintage amp. Hmm. It's pretty cool, actually. And then there's there's a new, larger Wharfdale called the Dovedale. There's a smaller one called the Aston. And then there's two, I think, Newcastle loudspeakers. And they're all styled Hmm. as vintage speakers, which I thought was super interesting. But it, it didn't stop there, because if you popped over to the fine audio room, now fine audio are is a company formed by ex-Tannoy engineers who've been making quite unusual-looking speakers for the last few years. They've done pretty well, I think. But in Munich, they were showing what, for me, essentially looks like (laughs) Tannoy loudspeakers. You know, they've kind Mm. of got that, that, again, that very vintage look. Um, They could be beamed straight in from the 1970s. I mean, they really, yeah, they do seem to come from that era, but obviously all of the speakers I'm talking about are being made yeah, to look like vintage speakers, but the engineering that goes on inside the drivers and the crossover is all 21st century tech because mm. they're not going to sound like vintage speakers. They're going to be sound, well, they are going to be voiced according to her, how, however, these companies want to voice them. But I think that like, as we know from the JBL revival, they're going to sound pretty damn good. And not warm and fuzzy or any other sort of cliches that tend to get lobbed in that direction, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, and there's also another company which I can't talk about because I, I'm un, under NDA who will be bringing to market another sort of vintage revival speaker later this year. So, this train is very much in motion, you know, like modern tech inside an old style looking cabinet for loudspeakers. Mm. And I, I love it. I think it could get eventually overdone, you know, when too many people do it it's like oh, I'm, I'm over that now but i think if just a, a sparing number of companies do it i think it'll it'll go pretty well yeah
1: i mean i'm a f- i'm a fan i've got the um klipsch cornwall force here for review mm-hmm. and they certainly have that classic i mean it's the classic Clips look you know klipsch has been around forever um
0: and and they they do. Yeah, they do. But it's not like Klipsch has kind of gone, let's design a speaker that may- looks like how we used to make them. It's just that they never changed in the first yes, place. yes
1: they, yes They've yeah.
0: always kind of made them look, look like this because I've got the, the Forte 4 out here again right now. And I agree. I, I mean, I love that sort of old style, old style, old world. I don't know what you call it really, like vintage. Yeah. Vintage, mid-century modern kind of look. I think it looks wonderful in in certain spaces but not everyone yeah. loves it i realize that not everybody loves it some people like hardware that looks more like a spaceship or just has that kind of i guess you'd call it a future fire aesthetic like estalon loudspeakers. they're just beautiful and curved and yeah yeah, yeah. or vivid yeah <laughs> yeah vivid is another one yeah the barber papa speaker yeah actually vivid's a much better example than estelon yeah for sure so or even like the Kef LS60 wireless. I mean, that that appeals to absolutely, you know, nobody who's into vintage speakers is going to look at that and go, wow, I've got to have me a pair of those. Yeah, you know, sure. If, so it's just, it's nice that we're seeing a diversification of visual styles and some, mm. you know, in many cases, a nod to the past, which I really like. But what's really interesting about that fine story, mm. and again, uh, and we'll come to why in a bit later, but I got a press release from them yesterday saying that actually the speakers on display in Munich weren't production level they were just prototypes huh. so they're not, they're not finished right and that sort of unfinished vibe mm. popped up a couple of times with uh, different manufacturers so once with mytech with the empire and this is interesting because the empire has a very cool feature in that if you go into the settings there's a couple of sliders where you can dial in the amount of second harmonic distortion that you want <laughs> yeah. and third harmonics. Mm. And I asked me how, if I could take a photograph, he's like, yeah, you can, but don't put it online. I'm like, why not? He's like, because it's not finished. We haven't either finished the interface mm. design mm. or the implementation, or maybe he won't even put that feature in the, in the finished product. But the point is, is yeah, the product is on display. And unless you really plug me how for more information, you won't know that it's not completely done yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And then with Campfire Audio, they were showing their new Trifecta IEM, which is, I guess, somewhat wackadoodle because it's three <laughs> dynamic drivers inside a, a fairly large earpiece. Hmm. And I did see uh, one of, I think it was somebody like Tech Radar or someone like that going, doing a a hi-fi show article going, oh, I tried 3,000 euro earphones and my life will never be the same again or something along those lines. Hmm. But the thing is, I was talking to Ken Ball who designs them. He's like, yeah, I've still got some final tweaks to make to the voicing before I can go, yep, they're definitely finished. (laughs) So again, another reason not to form judgments about the sound of products it shows because what's being demonstrated might not actually be the final version. Mm. Yeah, that's, yeah. Right? That's tricky. And and it's not always made obvious.
1: I think that's what, yeah. Well,
0: it's not, it's not made obvious. And I guess some manufacturers probably won't want it to be known because they Mm. want to present it as if it is a finished product. But I think that, well, that could backfire, but I also think it could work in their favor because they could ask people for their feedback at the show and use that to inform the sort of the finalization of the product. So in, in Campfire's mm. case, they might go, well, you know, I'd like a little bit more of a sort of an upper mid-range boost. And if enough people say it, Ken might go, oh, yeah, maybe I need to look at that when we go back to Portland and make some you know slight tweaks. It's not going to be a drastic overhaul. It's just these things take a long time to come to market and be absolutely 100% ready. Mm. And I guess a lot of companies will be desperate to get the product out onto their display in Munich and we'll kind of go, well, it's not quite ready, but we've got something we can show. So we'll just show it. And I think that might've been the case with some of the other speakers that I've seen, but I, I don't want to kind of postulate which companies, because I could be wrong. And I mm. think that would be mm. unfair to them, but fine audio, we're just showing prototypes. So if you listen to those and made a value judgment, well, good luck, because th- they could change a little bit before it's released to the mass market so yeah yeah so what would you say with headphones
1: um, at listening to headphones at shows you're you you could potentially get a
0: better idea as opposed to speakers in room yeah, definitely because you don't have the room yeah, and generally I mean not always, but if I wanted to have complete control of the music, I just whip my iPhone out of my pocket. Mm. It's it's got a dongle DAC attached. I can just plug the earphones into that, and then I've got my own music. I control the environment completely. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously you can't step outside into the open air because the manufacturer might think you're trying to steal their product. <laughs> but but it is possible to kind of I think make a, a fairly reasonable judgment about headphone performance, maybe headphone amplifier performance, DACs. I don't know. Maybe it's getting into the into the sort of the long grass a little bit there because mm. there is a lot of hall din right there's that constant yes white noise that runs in the background of just people talking but i think that's why i think headphone shows are much better mm. for using as a, a product audition yes because you can control so much and you can listen to your own music that's yep. why yep. I, I like them i like them for that because, like you know I bought a few records in in Munich the day before the show started, mm. and I thought about taking them around, see if I can get them played. But I thought, no, no one's going to play these. <laughs> Nobody's going to play the, my uh, Twilight Sad LP. They might play Kraftwerk remixes. They might go for that, but mm. but then again, I wasn't going to really step into a lot of the rooms that were demoing gear because I knew that there would be what in my head what I would call COVID hot boxes. I thought, no way, what am I doing that? But you know, I think what is interesting about the the headphones on display in Munich is it's still a very small portion of the show. Like really, it's it's sort of one end of one hall. It's mainly dominated by Astel and Kern, to which uh Kenball's campfire was attached, I think, or they had a neighboring table. Meze mm. were nearby. There were a couple of German distributors showing headphone gear nearby. So it's like a headphone area, but it wasn't really it wasn't huge. There weren't a lot of brands being represented necessarily mm. and i don't even know if iFi were there because iFi i've got a new dongle DAC called the go bar yes. which has got balanced output, single-ended output it does yeah right yeah. um and i and also Aston and kern have got a new dongle DAC, which has a balanced output as well they're both using that 4.4 millimeter mm. pentacon connector but I, I guess i don't know because i look at dongle DACs now and think hmm I wonder if their if their luster is beginning to fade. Mm. Not because they're bad or because they're poor performing but because they're still a bit of a faff, right? They're just a bit <laughs> annoying to use. <laughs> they are. They are they're not ideal for like, you know, you've got to fold over the adapter and then just slide it into your pocket without crush, crushing any of the cables. And I don't know, I just the other thing is is that Bluetooth earphones. I'm not talking about mm. headphones necessarily, but Bluetooth earphones have become so good that even though wired headphones sound better, especially with a dongle DAC, for many people, even for diehard headphone users, the delta isn't large enough to make to to warrant making the jump to the the wired headphones for every sort of outdoor trip that you make. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I took to Munich with me, I took a pair of Meze headphones, I took a pair of uh, Fio headphones, I took a portable DAC amp from iFi with me just to try it out on the train. Mm. And it sounds pretty damn amazing, actually, mm. but it's still bulky, but you can Bluetooth to it, and Bluetooth to it is still very, very good. But the following day, I was going to the show, I was taking the U-Bahn. I didn't want to carry some kind of extra DAC amp with me just to listen to music on the way to the show,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and yeah. I hadn't brought anything else with me. So I popped into the Apple store and bought the ten dollar uh, Lightning to three and a half mil. I guess it's their dongle DAC, really, mm. and I used that instead. Now I won't pretend for a minute that th- this dongle DAC from Apple sounds as good as other dongle DACs I've heard, but it's super small. You don't even know you're using it. It's just it's completely inconspicuous. It's just not irritating to use in the slightest. It's a bit rolled off up top, but if you've got a headphone that's like sort of nice and bright and airy, like the Advar from Meze, Meze Audio are, mm. then it's not such a penalty really. It, the separation isn't quite as good as uh, other dongle DAX either, but it's not, again, I will happily take that hit with the right earphones if it means I don't have to carry something extra bulky and annoying. And I think even dongle DAX are. Yeah, they are a little bit a little bit annoying. There is there is a small annoyance to to them, I think. Yeah, I mean I've gotten
1: tangled up in wires <laughs>
0: right. using
1: Yeah, using wired headphones when I'm on the go, which is rare, but you know, traveling air, airline travel, I always have something in this year when I went to Expo, I had and I don't remember the model, but this there's the Sony in-ears, mm. the Bluetooth. And yeah, the no more tangle it's yeah. uh, super simple and there's a lot to be said yeah I, i'm willing to give up a little um performance for convenience
0: i think that's it really isn't it and i think this is where the mass market has got it sorted because they're like well bluetooth sounds good enough and ge- generally it bluetooth isn't the weak link it's the hardware itself so like apple airpods are not great sounding earbuds for music mm. so but it's not the bluetooth that holds them back though it's the actual the hardware, because hmm. the Apple AirPods Max, which are the over-ear headphones that Apple make, I think are some of the best Bluetooth headphones I've ever heard. The noise cancelling is like off-the-dial good. It's fantastic. Oh. And they're super comfortable. The sound quality is just wonderful. They're much better than the Sony. I haven't heard the XM5 wow. yet. but How much yeah. are they? €550, Euros, something mm. like that. They're expensive. Mm.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: But they are not the most expensive Bluetooth headphones available now. (laughs) Because like, so I think a few months ago, I think it was a CES. Harman, Mm. who owned Mark Levinson, announced the the Mark Levinson number 5909 headphones, Mm. which are Bluetooth headphones, luxury Bluetooth headphones that sell for a whopping 999 euros. Right? So I decided that well, actually, I, I put this to, to Sujan if he wanted to review them. He's like, yeah, hell, I'll give it a go. And then he'll send them to me and I'll have a listen. Mm. So we had that plan set for a while. But but for some reason, Harman are being a little bit slow in providing a review sample. And maybe it's because of the Munich run-up. They just, mm. things have got lost. So I'm sure that will come good. But I thought, okay, what I'll do is I'm going to go to the JBL booth or the J, you know, JBL room, because it was quite a large space in Munich. I'll take a photo and I put it onto Instagram and go, like, these are the most expensive Bluetooth headphones you can buy right now. And then two people messaged me going, nah, John, you <laughs> haven't been to the T&R the room whose Solitaire T headphones, Bluetooth headphones, again, a luxury Bluetooth headphone, sell for, wait for it, 1,300 euros. So I, I missed them completely. I didn't even know they were there until I was pretty much out the door on, on the Friday night. So it's a shame because I would have liked to have heard those, mm. but it, it, it does seem that Bluetooth headphones are going to go the same way as wired headphones where price is no object for for a certain consumer. Mm-hmm. I think Apple really redefined what's tolerable by the mass market with their AirPods Max. I think the AirPods Max 2 or whatever they're going to be called will be even better and probably a little bit more expensive. Mm. So I think we're going to see more and more yeah, expensive Bluetooth headphones.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like that's, you know, getting back to the Dolly core, um, and those mission speakers. Mm. Yeah. It seems like companies are, are excited to push the envelope.
0: But I think they're also listening to the market. They're seeing what's going on. They're seeing what people like. I mean, obviously Mm. IAG have noticed that they're selling a shit ton of Wharfdale speakers now, probably more than they ever did because of the way they look. Yeah. And they also own Leek, don't they? The, the Leek make that, mm-hmm. that vintage-styled amplifier that goes with it. I've seen it in my local record and bookstore here because the distributor for Wharfdale and Leek has obviously arranged something for them to have them displayed. And they're displayed because they look the part. Yes. They don't look like Wharfdale speakers of even five years ago. So, yeah, the market obviously demands that. The market obviously demands an expensive Bluetooth headphone even though some people might sit there and go, well, who the hell's going to spend €1,300 of Bluetooth headphones? And the answer is plenty of people. Otherwise, T&R wouldn't have made them. They obviously know they're going to sell these, and they will. They won't sell hundreds of thousands of pairs, but they'll sell enough, I would think. Mm. And I guess people want to hear what can be done with Bluetooth because it gets a bit of a bad rap, doesn't it? But I I don't think it's as bad as people Mm. make out. And I could... You know the thing about the AirPods Max is that I didn't I wanted to take them to Munich but they're just a pain in the ass to travel with because they don't come with a travel case. Uh. so you either have to have them wrapped in that sort of like weird bra like thing that stops them <laughs> stops the ba- battery running down and you put them in a bag but they're sort of they're exposed in the bag. Mm. So I guess I need a third party travel case but also they would have been far too warm for the Munich weather last week. Uh, wearing, yeah. Yeah. Wearing full full size headphones in the summer. Nuh-uh. Mm. It's IEMs all the way for me. So, yeah. But I think, you know, Bluetooth headphones, expensive Bluetooth headphones, expensive speakers, expensive headphone amplifiers, expensive DACs. Like, this Mm. is the theme of Munich. Mm. And like many years in the past, yeah, affordable audio does exist. And whenever you complain about how expensive everything is, there's always somebody who will be like, "Yeah, but if you went into the you know the back end of the Sound United room and went into that left corner and just behind that <laughs> speaker, you would have found a, a $500 amplifier." Yeah, sure, those things exist, but they are super spotty, super scarce. So, like, there was that Marantz CD player. I missed it because it was tucked away huh. next to all the other sort of Marantz, you know, the new look Marantz stuff. So I just thought it was one of those, and I was I was going through it pretty quickly anyway. Yeah, but you know, yeah, there was Rotel there, there was Neat Acoustics. Hmm. That also, yeah, I should mention that Project Turntable, not the, <laughs> not whatever it's called, the extension, whatever, not that one, the Metallica turntable, hmm. fifteen hundred bucks. It looks like no other turntable I've ever seen, yeah. and it's really going to divide a room. It's got the Metallica logo, sort of shaped as the as the plinth. I hmm. think it looks cool. I would never buy it because I don't like Metallica. Uh, yeah, means, yeah. <laughs> But yeah. I, can, I can see they're going to shift far more of those than they probably are licensed to produce because I think they have to pay a license, obviously, to the band for that. And for me, that's much more exciting than seeing another Rolling Stones turntable or another Beatles turntable or <laughs> another sort of generic audiophile music turntable, right? Hmm. It's just – it's not – you know, it's, I thought it was really exciting and, and kind of edgy, literally edgy, you know, because if you <laughs> if you don't pick it up right, I reckon you could cut your finger on that. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's certainly a very distinct look. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. But generally, I mean, I know you weren't there, Michael, this year, and I'm sorry to have missed mm. you, but you yeah. know that it it really is an ultra high-end festival, right? hmm and I was watching Terry Ellis' video about it yesterday. He said something spot on. He says ninety nine point nine percent of the gear on display at the Munich High End Show is unattainable by ninety nine point nine percent of the visitors. Mm. Mm. Right? It's just priced priced beyond them. And he's right. Now, I have a bit of an issue with that, and I'm mm. I'm kind of starting to think that maybe this isn't the the shouldn't necessarily be the only public face of hi-fi because if you're a casual hi-fi enthusiast, you go with a mate, right? Let's say you're, you're the kind of person who reads what hi-fi in the UK mm. and you've been to a couple of hi-fi stores. So you've seen some Morant, some Cambridge, some NAD, some Rotel, some, I don't know, like, uh, I'm just trying to think of like a, a more affordable speaker, like a Wharfdale speaker or even a neat acoustic speaker mm. or just, you know, like, the stuff that I kind of looked at in Richard sounds and was like, yeah, that seven hundred dollars for a pair of speakers. Oh my god, that's mega money. Mm-hmm. But if you're that kind of person, then you go to Munich. I think you would be genuinely shocked at how much expensive gear there is out there, especially in the sort of in the upper floors of the atriums where you know the listening rooms really dominate. And I've got to say, it, it's really losing it. All of it is, all of that Mm. has lost its appeal for me Mm. because it's really expensive gear made by companies that aren't very well known. And when I say really expensive, I mean like 200,000 euro turntables or 300,000 euro speakers or 150 grand pair of monoblocks. Now I'm not saying that this stuff shouldn't exist. I'm not saying there is no market for it. I'm not saying it's poor value. What I am saying is that there's just so much of it that it makes the hi-fi world to the casual observer look overly opulent,
1: Mm.
0: almost to like an uncomfortable degree. Mm. And I don't think it is counterbalanced in Munich or any other hi-fi show for that matter. Maybe the one in Bristol, maybe that one, I don't know. But it's not counterbalanced by more affordable gear in a way that I think is a healthy Mm. public representation of what hi-fi is about. Because you would come away from Munich thinking, well, this is just a, a super elitist hobby for people that will have, you know, lots and lots of money, more money than I would possibly dream of earning. But I guess my biggest, I get I we'll call it a beef, right? We'll call it mm. a beef with those sort of the upper floor rooms that are demoing really expensive gear. My biggest beef is this: is when you go to a car show, right? Mm. Of course, you're not, you don't get to drive a car. You get to look at it and gawk at it, but generally cars, even crazy expensive cars, even million dollar cars, generally speaking, apart from the odd Aston Martin and things like that, they are designed to look like they belong in the future, right? They are like, wow, that looks Mm. like, you know, it's, it's very much of the moment. It's of the now or it's of, you know, three or four years time. Mm -hmm. Like even when the DeLorean came out, like Mm. people looked at that was like, (laughs) wow, what a future car. Right. But the thing is, when you look at these sort of lesser known brands of the, and the upper rooms of the atriums at, at the Munich IN show, there, there isn't any sort of what I call future hmm. nobody's making streaming active loudspeakers that sell for 200 grand. Hmm. Cause if they did, I'd go and have a listen, hmm. like w- essentially like turntables, valve amplifiers, horn loudspeakers, you know, or planar loudspeakers just, or just very big dynamic driver loudspeakers, it's all really old technology, right? It is. It's, it's, it's stuff from the fifties, sixties and seventies. It, it's not really, it doesn't have any sort of future vibe at all. It's not really pushing any envelopes apart from price. Maybe the, no, I have to be careful here. The implementation of the technology might be new. It might be a fresh way of doing things, but it doesn't look that way. It looks old fashioned. And when you see like two gigantic speakers even taller than me mm. i'm two meters tall and then you see a rack of electronics in the background and then two big car engine size monoblocks on the floor you look at it and go that's a million dollars Fuck that <laughs> seriously i mean i look at it and i'm into hi-fi I'm like no not because it's expensive just because there's just so much of it And it, it just has that old fashioned vibe. Mm. And when you couple that with the music that they play, which feels very stale and tired still, and will never change. I don't think it just, it feels so tired and yeah, old, Mm. I I know I'm being hard here and I'm being tough and maybe I'm being overly critical, but I I just, it, it troubles me Mm. and I think a lot of the manufacturers of these kinds of products, they need Munich. They need it so they can demonstrate it to the few buyers that would buy their gear so that they can generate what, 10, 20 sales that would keep them in business for another year. Hmm. But some of the bigger brands, they don't need that. They, they just show their stuff. They don't, they're not dependent upon generating sales at the show necessarily, maybe meeting distributors and maybe doing it that way they are because it's very much a as much of a business-to-business show as, as it is business-to-consumer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I just worry about the the uber high-end business-to-consumer c- component being so large and so, yeah, opulent and so, I have to say, also old-fashioned that it it's not propelling the hi-fi world into the future. Mm. Mm. Sorry, I've ranted there for like 10 minutes. I'm sorry, Michael. but um, Yeah, no, yeah. it's… A-
1: yeah, I, I understand what, you know, I understand what you're saying, and I agree to a point. Mm-hmm. Um, What's, the se- point?
0: What's the counterpoint? What's the counterpoint to my, my, my grumble? Well, is I think one, one counterpoint is, uh, to be
1: terribly obvious, is they're there, and they've always been there. Not to say they always will be there, mm. but, um, you know... I guess I'm. Uh, it's not even a very good argument I, I have to present, other than to say, I, I find myself these days having a, I'm uh, more reticent to bang my head against what is.
0: <laughs> right. So, okay. You know, and uh,
1: but you know, maybe that's you know, maybe I I do need to be a little more aggressive about these things because yeah. I mean, I I, I've told this story so many times. I've more than likely told it uh, in a podcast before, but I it was Mm. it was at a Munich show, and I was in one of those upper rooms, you know, on the on the top floor, one of the hot rooms with the glass ceilings, Mm. and someone asked about the price of I think it was a preamplifier, you know, and how much is that preamplifier? And the and the person running the room said sixteen, and the and the guy paused and looked at the you know paused and was like sixteen hundred. And the guy said, "Oh no, no, 16000 thousand." And you know, from the clearly, it was you know, it wasn't as you just said. I mean, this was a box. It was a box mm. with a faceplate with some knobs on it, it wasn't it? You know, so there was no reason to necessarily know just by looking at it if it was a sixteen hundred or a sixteen thousand dollar thing. But you really would know if you knew the makeup of, of Munich. If you're on the third floor in one of those big rooms. I'm oh. sorry, it wasn't going to be 1,600.
0: Right. But uh, And you're right, Ashley. You're absolutely right. Th- those rooms have always been there. But I guess mm. I uh, maybe this is a function of my sort of slowly shifting audience or may- maybe the way I've pivoted towards mm-hmm. video and YouTube. And now, I, I mean, that kind of stuff is completely irrelevant to my audience. Whereas maybe in the past, you know, some of it might have been interesting to my website audience but to youtube guys like presenting two hundred euro speakers forget it yeah yeah and i I wouldn't insult them with it because it's there's you know there's more of a sonos crowd mass market people on youtube so Mm. you get the numbers but you also get a larger proportion of i guess more casual hi-fi enthusiasts Mm. you know the the guys like i said that read what hi-fi and go to richard sounds on a saturday Mm. or whatever the sort of local sort of more affordable hi-fi store might be in america or in australia or wherever you know Mm. it's just Mm. i think what you see in your local hi-fi store is a million miles from what you see in munich now i do love the fact that yeah it's bleeding edge okay yeah it's bleeding edge it's a bleeding edge take of old technology though it's not bleeding mm. edge in the sense of like it's not moving the the nature of a hi-fi product forward, which I think active streaming loudspeakers are. And Mm. one of the best things I saw in Munich was a new series of streaming active Mm. loudspeakers. Mm. It was by far the most interesting thing I saw. And it, I mean, it is expensive, but it's not, it's not funny money. It's not upstairs money. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I think, so, I mean, I'll I'll talk about it. Can I talk about it if you like? I mean, it's, it's, it's it's not that, I mean, I've written about it on my website. I'll put Mm. a link in the description box below. It's basically a new series of, streaming loudspeakers from Dynaudio, they're called the Focus. There's three of them. There's a stand mount, there's a small floor stander, there's a large floor stander. And they've got a streaming board inside that does, let me get this right, Bluetooth, AirPlay, Chromecast, Spotify Connect, Tidal Connect, Rune Ready. Hmm. But not only that, they've they've put Dirac Live inside, so you can room correct them. And when I heard that, I was like, wow. This is this is the future. This is proper future-fi for me, which I just don't see happening upstairs in the, in those sort of big. I don't want to label you know all of those exhibits upstairs with the same or tar them with the same brush. But it's it's the general vibe, right? Room yeah. correction is a very very potent feature of modern hi fi. Now maybe people buying the upstairs room gear they've already got a an enormous room. I'd hope they would do if they're buying big speakers and maybe it's treated again, I would hope it would be treated because if you're spending 250 grand on a pair of speakers, you want to put it in a treated room. Really. You don't want to be relying on Dirac to sort that out for you, (laughs) but you know, at sort of more of an everyday kind of level, two speakers, plug them into the wall, plug them into your router. Done. Wonderful. Yeah. So I I just, yeah, yeah,
1: I am very interested in those Dynaudio focus speakers. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I, t- I mean, I know we spoke on the phone the other day and I s- I told you I was getting the large floor stander. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm getting a small one. Ah, uh, so I'll, get, so you, uh, I'll be you getting, getting the large one. one yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> okay. Small person, big room, big person, smaller room. <laughs> exactly. Totally makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be, um, yeah, I'm going to be giving those a spin, but I don't think if I read the press release correctly, I don't think there's going to be shipping in the USA until the, towards the end of the year, but they are shipping in Europe already. Oh, I <laughs> think sorry, man, but I think they'll be right up your street. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. D- yeah. So, and this is the thing about room correction when it's done right, it sort of, it supersedes what, well, it doesn't supersede it, but it, hmm. it's more important than as I said before, it's more important than the DAC that you have or the streamer that you have in terms of sound quality. Like it's important to get the room speaker interface dialed in before you worry about the other stuff. So this speaker will allow you to do that without an extra box. Mm-hmm. So, or this range of speakers. So I, I was, I was super impressed with what Dynaudio was showing. I was like, wow, this for me is best in show, not best sound in show. Cause I wouldn't mm. ever dream of doing that. Well, I've done it in the past. I've learned from my mistakes. Um, so now it's like best in show because it's probably the only, yeah, it really was the only thing that really wowed me. And I, oh, I've, yeah, yeah. But I know that I didn't see everything. Nobody can. Nobody can see everything, right? But the thing is, is I only found out about them because somebody told me about them. It's like, John, have you seen the new Dynaudio streaming speakers? I'm like, you're what now? <laughs> so, <laughs> excuse me? So I was just kind of like, okay, I need to go and see those. But here's, I mean, this is where I really wanted to get to with this podcast, hmm. is that had Dynaudio hmm. sent the press release out for those new Focus series before the show, I would have come forearmed and gone, okay, right, I need to see these. Yeah. And in fact, if they'd sent the press release out before the show, I would have run the story on my website. So other Munich visitors would have known about them and could have gone to see them mm-hmm. without so just, just basically working the show blindfolded. Mm-hmm. And a lot of products like the Dynaudio, like the Dali, like the Monitor Audio, they're unveiled at the show, right? Yes, yes. They literally pull the covers off for a large, big ta-da moment, mm. right? Now i got a question, right? <coughs> Who does that ta-da moment serve? Only the people in the audience. Only for the people in that room. And I, would, I have to say, and this is a spicy thing to say, the manufacturer's ego, because it's like, yes, mm. here its tada! Ta-da, we've been working three years on this and here it finally is, right? But the thing is, is that if, if you take a step back If you're a manufacturer, you want to sell as many units as possible, right? Mm. And that means you need to let as many people as possible know that you have this product for sale. And I don't think that unveiling the product at the show maximizes your audience size. Because Mm -hmm. there are lots of us, and I've said this before, lots of us running around, we're trying to see whatever we can. And often we're wondering in a... Reasonably haphazard fashion, and we don't know what has been announced. And this is the other thing that, especially when you're a solo operator like you and I, right? We're we're one man show and our own publication businesses, right? And we're just we're covering a show on our own. Is that I noticed this actually? So when I was walking around on Thursday, I noticed that my inbox started to fill up with press releases of products that had been teddied that day. Yeah. And I couldn't even, I didn't even have two minutes to look at them in any, anything more than just a a, a brief sort of scan through the email. I'm like, I'll get to that later. But later is actually several days later, (laughs) right? right? Because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have time to process that press release until probably until I'm back at home. Mm. Because every show for me is all day at the show, dinner in the evening, bed. Back up again, all day at the show, dinner in the evening, bed. Yep. There's no time for any sort of re- reportage that I, c- I can foresee. Now, you might go, well, you could forgo the dinners in the evenings, John. Ugh. But for me, that A, that's a, the social aspect of the show. And I actually sometimes, I mean, I did see some future stuff, again, under NDA, some photos of stuff mm. that isn't available yet. And I would be shot and cut off from that manufacturer if I spoke about it, but that's where I get to see where manufacturers are headed because they'll share stuff, you know, they'll have a couple of beers and go, Hey, check this out. Right. And I like that. And that's nice. And you, there is a certain sort of insider feeling, not going to deny that. I mean, that is, you do feel a little bit privileged, but also what I like about that is it helps me sort of plan long-term. So if I know certain things are coming then my editorial angle Mm, can be mm, very slowly steered mm. towards that. Right. Yeah. It's a bit of a trick I can pull, but, but anyway, so there's, there's no time to process press releases at the show mainly until after the show until afterwards, I think is too late because who are you helping? Like you go, this thing is showing at Munich. Oh wait, no, Munich's over. So, (laughs) you know, like, okay, here's a new product. So wouldn't it be better? If manufacturers, I've said this before, wouldn't it be better if manufacturers sent out the press releases before Munich, Mm. even if they were under some kind of time embargo, I could probably live with that. You know, don't push go on this until this date and time. Some of Mm. them do that, but I would much prefer it if they just sent the press releases out two weeks before the show, I publish it so that, or you publish it so that our readers know what's being shown. Yeah. Yeah. And then they go, to, so th- the audience is maximized. So it benefits the manufacturer, right? It benefits us as well, but it benefits the manufacturer. And, then and li- attendees yeah, as well.
1: Yeah. It benefits they, every- Yeah. Yeah. They know what's there and what's just, what is, you know, what they can see and hear.
0: Right. So they can make a short list of things that they must see. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. So- I have to say, there, I'm not going to say who it was. Uh, I am not going to say who it was. Who was that, it wasn't.
0: Uh, Expona,
1: <laughs> a manufacturer, was so secretive about their reveal they weren't mm. even listed in the show directory. Right.
0: Oh yes, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So yeah. I didn't get any press release. Uh, I didn't get the press release invite to the reveal. Mm. So you know, it was like the next day, um, people were con- you know some people were talking about, hey, did you? Because you just see the new blah, blah, blah. And I go, I didn't even know they were here. They're not in the directory. Oh, yeah. So what room? Oh, I don't know what room. I think so-and-so knows what room. You know, text so-and-so. And And I was like, "Uh, no, thanks. I mean, if it's that super secret, you know, I'm sorry. I am not going to exert time and energy that is in very short supply at shows to Mm. trying to track down a product I may or may not even be interested in. Just well, you because may not find it yeah. yeah yeah just because it was super super secret it's like I don't know I just I I the whole thing just turned me so off <laughs> I've skipped it entirely
0: yeah fair know. enough yeah yeah but I just if if manufacturers send out the press announcements before the show everybody wins everybody they win the the attendees win because they know what's going to be shown We win because we get it all out of the way before the event. So we don't have to worry about missing stuff because I miss loads of stuff like those T-Undar Bluetooth headphones. I miss them. Yeah. You also, I'm going to, can I tell you something else you missed? What did I miss?
1: (laughs) Well, it goes into your rant. So avant-garde acoustics, who are very old school horn speakers, right? We all know them. Yep. they they showed at Expona and also at Munich. They have they now have an active version of their large trio speakers. Mm-hmm. So I mean it fits in with your narrative, but they are one old school
0: brand that has that now offers an active version of their big ass horns. Yeah, because they, they've been doing active speakers for a while now. They've had the XD one for about five or six years, right? The white, right? But that was its block. own kind of its own thing. Yeah. Yeah, ground up new product this
1: they they've uh, added an active uh version of their more of their traditional line yeah
0: yeah i, I know those horns because a, a buddy has a pair in australia mm. and they they sound amazing yeah and he's he's obviously well, yeah he's been through the amplifier lottery with them yes. so yeah it's great when a manufacturer goes well here's our amplifiers just use those which i think yeah. t- takes takes the pain away takes the frustration away takes away choice as well. Some audiophiles love the choice. I can't fault them for that. I I kind of like it as well, to to a certain degree. Hmm. But again, I mean, how, I mean, yeah, okay. So that's probably one exception to the general trend, right? (laughs) Most of these high-end speaker manufacturers, they're not making active speakers. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry, but another
1: one just came to mind.
0: (laughs) Tell me another one. Another active speaker
1: manufacturer. Why G Acoustics came out with a new active speaker? um and the and the um the electronics were developed uh by Belcanto and i can't remember the other company off the top of my head
0: is uh, it a streaming active or just like a normal active? streaming active yeah oh so you can stream directly to it yeah 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 oh that so that is interesting we see again if i <laughs> yeah yeah if i got press releases in advance i'd be like okay right i need to see avant-garde i need to see yg and I would be I would be better served, so and would, I would be able to better help those companies increase the exposure of their product before yeah. the show. But all they have to do is let—not those companies, but all Monitor Audio and Dali have to—is let go of the need for a ta moment. Hmm. Just let it go. Like, I think it really look. I'm if if, if either of those companies are listening, I, just consider it. I mean, I'm not saying this is where you have to do it. I can't tell you what to do. It's your business. I'm just saying. You are missing out on a chunk of audience because you do it this way. Hmm. The way I see it, anyway.
1: Yeah, I would. Uh, I would like to jump in with one of my, um, one of my complaints. <laughs>
0: well, we're, we're letting them all out today, Michael. So you yeah, as well. <laughs>
1: one of my show going complaints, and that is that, in my opinion, every room at a hi-fi show should have a list of what's in the room. And that's for everyone who enters the room. Everyone who enters the room that has any interest at all is going to want to know what they're listening to and how mm. much it costs. And so, oh, it's, a, it's a very simple thing. And I don't recommend having a stack of these things because everyone has a smartphone and everyone could just take a photograph of yeah. that list. Or that
0: list could be on the website. Or they could tape it to the door.
1: Yeah, and a lot, yeah, that, lot I, that I saw a lot more, yes. And that's uh, that's it. It seems so simple, right? But it's I can't tell you how many rooms I I was in at Exponent and over the years where that no list exists. And I am no longer going to stand there and take notes about a room with like, you know, 30 things, including cables and power conditioners. You know, it's just, it's not, it's not going to happen anymore. So.
0: But, but again, if the manufacturer sent this information out in advance ahead yes. of the show, yes. you wouldn't be in this quandary because yeah. you'd have all the information already and it would be accurate because yes. you wouldn't be relying on notes and memory. And, oh, I think that one was 25. Okay. Well, <laughs> I've got a, I've got a deadline. i have got to get this post out. Bang. Just push it out. Right. Yeah. You, you like all, all this information could be drip fed, to publications in advance i just I, I just don't see the downside apart from giving up the ta-da moment mm. which i know feels nice in the moment right, right? But, but i it's just i think it's a bit short sighted right but how about the ta-da moment being what it
1: actually looks like i could live with that a press release with some detailed photo of whatever it is that is it doesn't show you what it looks like because a lot of times with speakers especially those monitor audio speakers yeah. That uh, you know, a big part of the tada moment is what they look like. So yeah, tell us what they are beforehand, and maybe hold back the, a photo of the whole thing until showtime.
0: Yeah, I, I could I could live with that. Yeah, like yeah. A, maybe a few, yeah, a few detailed photographs, but yes, not yes, the whole yes. reveal. Yeah, mm. that that's a, that's a, a reasonable compromise. Yeah, so you're right. So they still get the tada moment of like right, right. literally pulling the covers off. Yeah, they yeah. still get to feel good about that. But yeah, I just I just think manufacturers need to be better about advance notice on. This stuff, as it relates to shows, I mean, I'm, I don't know about you, Michael, but I'm, I'm just a Munich guy from now on. Maybe I'll go to Warsaw. You know, I was going to
1: ask you that. I was going to ask, what is your next hi-fi show?
0: Yeah, I I did bump into Adam, who runs the Warsaw show. Mm. Um, And obviously he, and especially me, because I was, I was talking to him with the mask glued to my face, you know, Mm. you know, it's, it's going to be middle of October or towards the end of October. So a couple of weeks earlier. Uh, Okay. usual, but Mm. even then, that's still the time in the last couple of years when Mm. COVID cases have begun to ramp up. Now I have to say that I am more COVID aware than most people. So I'm not saying that, you know, the way I view this should Mm. be the way everybody else views this. So I I look at this, I'd like to go to that Warsaw show very much. I enjoy it. I have a good time, Mm. but I just, I can't see myself making it to an American show anymore yeah I, just, I, I don't see enough new stuff being here's the irony um not unv- well unveiled or announced i mean i guess if i got a bunch of press releases in advance i go okay maybe 10 things maybe it's worth going hmm. but I, I can cover all my bases in munich and hmm. even a munich trip even going there doing it. I mean, I did a bit of Instagram coverage this time. I did a little bit. I did some videos and some photographs, not a lot on the website at all. I mean, this podcast is really my Munich report because I've had time to kind of think about it and I've let it percolate for a while. And now I'm kind of reporting back on the things I saw and how I, how I see things, right. Mm. Which I think is actually probably the most beneficial thing I can give my audience. Even though my opinions in this particular podcast have been quite strong, I just, yeah, I think it's a a much better overview than the post-by-post-by-post things I've done in the past, you know, which are useful to a point. Mm. And they are, Mm. I mean, I've got to say, you know, they are good for traffic sometimes. But Mm. this year I really had to let go. I had to let go of going like, I'm not going to do it. If I didn't get it before the show, I'm not going to report on it. The only exception I made was for those Dine audio actives because I got the press release on the Thursday and then obviously wrote, well, obviously not obviously, but I wrote it up yesterday. Hmm. So it's, you know, it's been a week since the, the show took place. Well, since I left actually almost to the hour right now. I mean, I didn't say the full four days. I would have loved to have done that, but I just thought it was too much of a COVID risk. Mm. And thankfully I didn't get COVID the show, which I'm very, very happy about.
1: Yeah. Yes. But
0: I liked being able to walk around, talk to people more, listen to people more, um, just have a more relaxed experience and just soak it all in rather than just worrying about how am I going to cover what's new? Mm. Because ultimately, okay, this is my big, the big call. I don't think it's worth it. I don't think it's worth solo operators like you and I running ourselves ragged, trying to cover everything when it could all be done in advance and then we can actually have a good time in the show and enjoy things. And actually, yeah, sometimes just sit and listen just for the fun of it, you know, (laughs) Yes. which is a radical idea. I know, but just, and spend more time with people because you can, you can get a lot out of manufacturers just from talking to them stuff. That's not in their press release kits. Yes,
1: absolutely. I agree. 100%. I'm on board. 100%. Because what, when you were talking about, um, you know, the show day and, and, uh, you know, so it's show and then dinner, but it's, mm. it's at dinner. And even after hours where mm. I have have been privy to engage in, in the best, most informative conversations I've had. Yep. And yeah. that's that, I mean, it's that it's those moments that are so far above, in terms of, of value, mm. um, The things that I value, they're so far and above room to room coverage that I, you know, I can't, I, you know, there's no metric for it. It's just that's, that's where, that's the value of shows, seeing people, being able to speak to people who are the people behind the products. And, you know, because it's whatever, this is where I I learn things. Mm. And that, like, if I can learn something from going to a show, that's a huge. Plus, as opposed to, yeah, I took 8,000 photographs of, you know. Right. Because just,
0: yeah, those pump and dump photograph reports, and I'm doing mm. air quotes right now, it mm. just doesn't tell me anything. It just shows me what was there. And I understand why people do it because they're frantically, again, trying to run around, trying to show their audience what's at Munich. But I I just don't think it's all that really that informative. Yeah. And I know that I used to do post you know, room by room posts in the past, and I guess they've, they were good for that time, but times have changed. So since I last did that in earnest mm. in 2015, mm. maybe 2016, like Instagram has gone up like a rocket. We've got TikTok, we've got Instagram reels. We've got YouTube and YouTube shorts. And in the last six years, YouTube for hi-fi coverage has just grown exponentially. Mm. So all of these new media are making it very easy for anybody to turn up to Munich, fire their camera at something, whack it up to Instagram or to YouTube or whatever. And effectively they, they beat you and I to the punch. Yeah. They do. There's no doubt about it. And so it's, again, it's another reason why I would like to have the information in, in advance because we can't, we can't match the, you know, the, even the several, well, let's, let's call it three or 400 people who just purely out of a, a hobby interest want to go out and Instagram the shit out of whatever they see, which Mm. is what I did at this year's show. And I didn't actually do that much just because I was moving around kind of slowly, you know, cause it was hot and I'm old, but, (laughs) but I was just trying to take my time and I, I just don't see any value in just being harried to get stuff done all the time. Yeah. I have to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: did for exponent. I did, essentially do room to room show coverage traditional Mm -hmm. room to room and as i was doing it as i was there taking photographs and you know getting information and as i were was doing the posts frantically once i got home you know it, it i felt it it just felt old it, yes, I'm sorry. It felt yes. old and moldy. It, it yes. was like, yeah, what? I was like, really, I was like, what am I doing? What value does this have? And it, it just, you know, but I don't have, I, I, I don't have a fully formed next approach. Although what we are talking about, mm. you know, um,
0: could lead that way, right?
1: Absolutely, could lead that way to a uh, to something that would be of greater value to all. The, <laughs> interested parties
0: you know so i think our conversation about a show would be of more value to interested parties than any of our website posts yeah because also you kind of get a greater sense of what john and michael really thinks yes because it's it goes way beyond the press release and reporting the facts i haven't reported that many facts at all in this Mm. you know i've talked about the daily speaker being really tall but i haven't told you how many drivers are inside it or you know what is what its sensitivity is or anything like that. You can look at that, that up on their website. Yeah. Right. Right.
1: So- yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. That's why. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Back years, many. Let's say many years ago. Yes. Yeah, show my show coverage. You know, I would talk about inputs, outputs. <laughs> like, sure. On every but like ah, those days are so gone for me because you can easily access that information from the manufacturer's website. or So I include links, you know, but mm. anyway. Anyway, I don't want to beat that to death. No, but, but yeah, uh, you yeah. are right.
0: But I, I think, so, I mean, looking forward to next year's Munich, mm. and I am looking forward to it. I do want to go. I have a great time, yeah. especially when I don't have to, you know, write a bunch of stuff afterwards. I mean, but the, the, the little Instagram videos I did did take longer than expected, even though they're pretty basic in terms mm. of videos. But I'll, I'll probably do a few of those, but I'm probably just going to do mainly Instagram photo posts mm. and then a podcast with you. Yeah. And that, and that'll be it. And I think that will cover it because the great thing about the podcast is you, there is a bit of time between the show ending and us recording. So it's a week later. So you get time to kind of think about stuff and really think about trends. Like I've mentioned the a uh, possible trend towards more blue high end Bluetooth headphones yeah. or the fact that I think, dongle DAX are losing their luster a little Mm. bit Mm. so those kinds of things i those only sort of came to me in the last couple of days yeah i mean Mm. when i'm in the middle of it i can't you you just don't see the wood for the trees Mm. so uh, i think being able to pick out trends or observations or you Mm. know threading the needle through that thing that thing and that thing i think is interesting to the to the to the listener i hope it is please if it's not interesting please tell us (laughs) via email um, email Michael, not me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> My email is John at... <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, th- that's what I'm going to do next year. I don't think I'm ever going to do room by room reporting on a show ever again. If manufacturers want to send me press releases in advance, I'll run them. I'll run them for days before the show, no yeah. problem. Yeah, But afterwards, like... Well, then let the chips fall as they may. And then I might talk about what you showed. I might not in a podcast and that's it. Mm. not going to do a video because show videos don't do that well on YouTube. They really don't. This is the, this is the problem with the hi-fi industry. They think that the whole world revolves around these hi-fi shows, Mm. but most people, especially those out on YouTube, they couldn't give a crap about hi-fi shows. They don't care. They want to know about products. Is that product of interest to me? So I mean, you could argue that, okay, well, a, a manufacturer or exhibitor a specific post, you know, feeds that need, but it doesn't really because you can't make any judgment about a product of the show. So what can you possibly tell the reader or the viewer beyond this is what it is, this is what it does, and this is how much it is. Mm. And it's essentially a glorified news post. Right. I mean, there's some
1: there's some funny logic at work here. And that is if show cover, if room to room show coverage is of great value, then why go to a show? I mean, why right. would people go to a show? Why wouldn't they just stay home and read our show reports? Yeah, sure. Because yeah. people like to go
0: to shows and mingle and see people and talk and blah, 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 blah. Right. I mean, I've been chatting with Sajan at mm. Six Moons about this today. And he's like, yeah, it's a social outing, end of. And he's absolutely right it really is. I mean I just think we need to separate and extricate all the sort of press announcements from that social outing mm. so that they they get our better attention and therefore yeah as i've said before we can put it in front of more people basically.
1: Yeah i mean I'll have, i have i've one last thing to add mm-hmm. <laughs> or maybe subtract from the show thing. <laughs> Because I have people already, and even at Expona, um, asking, oh, so are you going to go to this show and that show and the other show? Are you going to be in California, mm. you know, Pacific Northwest? Or are you going to be in blah, blah? And it's like, well, I mean, I do have to um, plan and budget, and not only financially, but time-wise. And I'm sorry to say I cannot go to every show. If I did, I may as well just like rent a bus and drive around the country because you right. could almost string them together.
0: You could. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in the USA. There's lots of them.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. There shows, there's shows in June, July. Um, I don't know of one in August, but, you know, September. There'll be one
0: August. soon. There'll be one announced soon for sure. <laughs> yeah. So
1: it's oh, just yeah. not possible. And what I'm sorry to say, um, but the likelihood of there being new things to talk about, uh, uh, slimmer and slimmer and slimmer, the more shows you attend. Mm -hmm. You're just going to be reporting on the same things, maybe in different configurations, but I mean, then you're just reporting on the show.
0: Yeah. And it's not, I don't think that's especially interesting apart from, to the real sort of diehard audiophile fans out there, mainly people, people to go to shows. They wanted to listen to what, you know, what we thought about that event. But I, I don't, Mm. I, in the, in the broader sense, I think it's kind of dull. Right now, I don't want to come across as
1: being like anti-show
0: or anti. No, not now, of at all. course I
1: want to support the. You know, these shows, mm. regional shows are great. It allows people <laughs> that are nearby to attend. But uh, you know, for me to cover a show on the West Coast, this is like a big deal. So
0: I I think of it this way, right? So if I go to Munich and it's I'm I'm in the country, but it's still if I'm going to go there, especially if it's the four day run and then do a little bit of, like, let's say, do this podcast, right? Mm. So th- that's going to take a week out of my schedule. Yes. A whole week, right? Now, that week, the opportunity cost of that week is making a full review video with Olaf. Mm. Start to finish, we could do the whole thing, mm. right? Now, I have to make a decision. I did this year. I was like, okay, I'm not going to film with Olaf this week. I'm going to go to Munich. But it's, it's, it wasn't an easy decision to make. But if it's a... For me, uh, an American show, US show, that's two weeks out of my schedule because mm. of flying time and jet lag as well, which I suffer really badly from mm. when I get back. So that's hard. It's two weeks out, and that's two videos with all And I, just, I can't, I can't justify that, yeah. Because you know the video coverage as well. It's of interest. Sorry, it's of more interest to viewers than show coverage by a long way, by mm-hmm. a long way. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, for me to squeeze in a Munich or a Warsaw. You know, I'm, I'm forgoing quite a bit in terms of the way I see my sort of publishing schedule. And I don't want to do that more than once or twice a year. Yeah. Because it's it's just not serving my audience properly, essentially.
1: Yeah, yeah I agree. I'm feeling the right. same way. I, yeah. I mean, for me, Expone is easy. It's a short flight um, and it's a large show.
0: Right. That's your Munich.
1: Yes. Yeah, it is. Right. And Capital Audio Fest, I enjoy and that's an easy drive. Right. Right. Uh, You know, so that, you know, that, and I enjoy that show. It does have a a, a different vibe and a more interesting mix uh, Mm. of exhibitors. But I think
0: what what Mm. we can't get away from is that manufacturers don't need a, a, don't need you or I to be on the ground at a show to tell us what's new. They can do that with an email, with an attachment. right? It's, it's, it's super easy of course, they like it, you know. Oh, Michael's here, or John's here, taking photos, and it makes them feel good, right? They're, they're, like, they're getting love and attention. But right. I, again, yeah. I, yeah, it's just a bit. I, uh, I don't know about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, this part. Um, what I'm about to say, I'm going to pause here um, because I may not <laughs> want to say this. But okay, see, so see how it comes out. Yeah, see how it comes out. But yeah, so uh, of course, I did not. Um, I did not attend Munich but mm-hmm. I did one post uh, that was about new products that interested me and the Dynaudio focus that we've already talked about was one of them.
0: Oh, okay. So you knew about it even before I did then. I, I did. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I got you. my
1: post up before you did from New Jersey. Yes. Um, and that but, post uh, was very popular. Hmm. I'm, So that's the part. Never mind. I don't want to go there. All I'm saying is, so I did this post and it got the word out. It got the word out about, you know, a handful of new products that I thought were of interest at Munich. And um, I think
0: you should, you should say what you want to say here,
1: because I think
0: it's, I think it's important.
1: Uh, So within a few days, uh, two days, let's say within two days of that post, that post was seen by more people than attend Expona.
0: So you're saying that your sort of pre-show report on Munich was more popular with your readers than any post-show coverage of Expona. Yes. Right. I I think that's important. And more people saw that post than attended Expona. So it's not, you know, it's like- (laughs) I do know what you're saying. Yes, exactly. And I, but I I want manufacturers to hear this. I just wish them more of them would listen to this podcast. They probably don't probably Mm. the the ones that are already sending his press release in advance are the ones already listening. Right. But the bigger ones, I mean, I don't expect Morant to suddenly turn around and go, Oh, we've listened (laughs) to what John and Michael say. (laughs) We're going to, we're going to like follow that lead. They're not going to do it, but some manufacturers might, Mm. some of them might. And if that's you, please consider it. I really hope so. Anyway, I think I've, um yeah we checked that horse to death boy right? it's
1: smoldering i think it even stopped <laughs> smoldering a while ago
0: <laughs> should we um should we turn i mean uh, i, I want to turn to recommended albums because we, we try and do a recommended album yes at sure. the end of every podcast but i'm going to talk about mine but it's it's not a cheerful story michael that i've got for you today oh in fact, gosh yeah right yeah. the the last in fact the last two days have been quite grim on mm. the sort of cultural yeah. icon death front so we got Andy Fletcher from Depeche Mode, mm. who passed away yesterday at 60. Yeah. Ray Liotta died yesterday. Mm-hmm. I don't know how old he was. Was he nearly 70? Something like that? I, I think, yeah, I think he was 72, maybe. Yeah. Right. Okay. But also a huge loss. But the one that's affected me the most, and this guy died maybe about five days ago, was a, a chap called Carl Cochran. And his name is not spelled K A R L, it's C A T H A L. He's Irish or was Irish. And Carl Cochran used to be one half of a band called Micro Disney, Mm. who were sort of like a a minor indie band in the 80s that just sort of skirted the edge of the top 40. And then they dissolved, and then Carl Cochran went on to form a band called the Fatima Mansions, who I absolutely bloody loved. Mm. Because he he would do like Scott Walker-type ballads and then put them next to sort of industrial noise tracks on these albums. It actually sounds... Less cohesive than it actually is, and if you really want to hear this in full effect, I would go and listen to an album called *Viva Dead Ponies*. I think that's the second, well, probably first official Fatima Mansions album, but that's actually their second one. Um, Hmm. But then he went on to make even more sort of aggressive records. The last Fatima Mansions album was called *Lost in the Former West*. Was produced by Jerry Harrison of Talking Heads. So if ever I got to interview Jerry Harrison, I want, want to talk about Talking Heads. actually. I want to know about this recording session because it's it, it's quite an intense record and it did nothing. And then mm. the Fatima Mansion dissolved and a lot of their catalogue was tied up, I guess, for maybe more than 15 years Ugh. in legal wranglings. And, you know, a, a label went bust mm. and the, all the catalogue was just held in, was just living in limbo. Mm. So it wasn't on streaming services for years. And, well, just you couldn't get it. Um, but in two, in the year 2000, Carl Cochran made, I guess his first proper solo album. It's called black river falls. And the way I explain it to newcomers is like, if you imagine a cross between Scott Walker and Leonard Cohen, hmm. it's, it's just the easiest way to get it across. And it's just this glorious, somewhat dark record. Um, but Carl Cochran had an amazing voice. Like it just, this real sort of rich, deep wooded voice, right? It just, that would in sometimes be quite scary and intimidating and other quite, other times quite kind of funny, but it's a very mature sounding record. I don't think that people that are sort of well versed in audio music are going to, they're not going to sort of wince when they hear it. I don't think apart mm. from the first track, the first track, they might go, what the hell is this? So skip that one, go to the second track. It's about a car crash, mm. which is also very cheery, but it's just a, such a great record. Mm. And, when I saw in my Instagram feed, like Carl Cochran RIP, mm. I thought, ha ha, that's what he's called his new album. Uh, I'm like, oh no, it, it's not his dark humor coming to the fore. He has actually died. Mm. He was 61. I cried. It really uh, did. It did affect mm. me quite a lot. I won't say I'm devastated. Mm. That's, that's too extreme. I didn't know the guy, but he was so important to mm. me mm. as one of my sort of cultural figureheads in mainly in the nineties and probably to a extent in the two thousands. But I listen to Family Mansions loads. It's, this Black River Falls album is the one I play the most. I think it is on Bandcamp now. I'm almost certain it's on streaming services now as well. So I I would implore people to go and listen to just a couple of tracks, right? Just go and give it a whirl because I think some people will like it. So I wish I was recommending an album under better circumstances, but hmm. you know, when somebody so important to me passes, I'm I'm going to have to, you know, I guess yeah, say something about it and yeah, commemorate their, their life, you know, in the small way that I can in my pathetic little podcast, you know, about life I gear. But yeah, it's just, when you see this, you kind of go, oh God. And the worst thing, the worst thing about seeing your idols die, you know, pass away Hmm. is the message that I see is you're next. Well, yeah. I mean, not to be too morbid, but as time goes by,
1: um, you you begin to see more and more people your age or younger passing away.
0: Yeah. yeah, And it's like, okay. Yeah, so Carl Cochlein was 61. Yeah. Andy Fletcher was 60. My age, yes. Right. Terrifying. I find it terrifying. Mm. Anyway, so you, I mean, no doubt, Michael, you've got a much more cheerful story behind your recommended album for the month. Well, sort of, <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, I do. I do. But it's okay. funny.
1: I've been really on a tear with, um, music that's similar to what you've described. Mm. Um, uh, wh- but I do want to mention this. I'm cheating here, but I'm going to throw in because you did mention Scott Walker a few times. And I I'm mm-hmm. a fan and Scott Walker did a record with son. Oh, called Soust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh south it was released by 4ad and it is it's my favorite scott walker album really which is it's just so wonderful because it is it's son o and scott walker and if you know if anyone's familiar with those two you kind of in your head you're like how's that gonna work you know Mm. but it absolutely it absolutely works it's a great album and, um, Scott Walker was asked what it was like to record with son. O, And he said, walking into the, uh, studio while they were playing was like walking into a blast furnace. <laughs> wow. Um, but, and on a very similar note, uh, the record that I wanted to talk about is, uh, a collaborative, it's really an EP, a collaborative mm-hmm. EP from 2020 between Boris and a band called Z-O-A, who I am mm. really not familiar with, uh, but they are another Japanese, let's call them avant-garde, you know, Noise, heavy. right? I'm sorry?
0: Oh, I mean, I know Boris is a sort of Japanese noise band.
1: Yeah, so Z-O-A is also a Japanese noise band. from ni- Formed mm. in 1984, uh, huh. Boris has been around since 92. Yeah, it's noise. Boris has a very distinct sound. Wata, the guitar player, um, actually has a few branded effects pedals out there. You can see if you want to <laughs> try and buy into that bar sound. But but this record, um it's one track, it's a half an hour track. Ah. And it starts out sounding almost like like a Japanese softer version. It's not it's not that um it's not the bars, you know chainsaw it's it almost sounds like a Japanese take on a uh, girl from Ipanema almost mm. and it slowly builds into full-on uh, Boris heaviness <laughs> you know over the course of again like 33 minutes and it's just, I, I, I've listened to it way too many times since I I tripped over it a, a week or so ago. Mm -hmm. um and it's one of those records like i've got this thing is it vinyl worthy and it's absolutely i've tracked down the vinyl um i'm gonna have to get it um but anyway it's it's a wonderful i like these kind of songs that unravel almost like a revenge film ah okay you know it's like um the original mad max movie (laughs) was such a a slow unfold as a as Mm -hmm. a revenge film and that's uh, some of like this 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 song it's refrain that's also an album and that's how it unfolds at least in my head And it's kind of lures you in with being a little seductive and soft but then it bowls you over by the end with like a blast furnace of of that beautiful boris heaviness
0: i think that's one of the most maybe this is a cliche to even say this but one of the most misunderstood things about noise music Mm. is that it, it can actually be very relaxing To listen to oh because it just consumes all of you so you 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 can't fight it yeah uh, absolutely
1: the case yeah i've yes uh, part of the reason i've been listening to this kind of music the last couple weeks is to uh escape like for me this is like this is music that helps me completely disconnect Hmm. um because it's an overload Um, And also, yeah, perhaps something that may go missing from a lot of people's perception of this kind of music is that it's not very complex or it's just noise, but that's not the case at all. Like these, this music benefits from being played back on a good system and you can hear layers and layers and layers and layers into this, you know. Uh, Anyway, it's it's a great ride. Refrain from ZOA and Boris.
0: Fantastic. Well, I think that kind of just seems to, uh, tie the bow nicely on what has been quite a, um, well, I guess, well, yes, yeah, spicy podcast or some, <laughs> you know, some fairly intense opinions from mainly mm. from me, I've got to admit. Um, yeah, I don't have anything more to say, which is unusual for me, but I've got to end it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Michael Lavonia thank you so very much for uh, beaming in from your basement once more <laughs> and, um, talk to you next time. Yeah next time all right cheers you have been listening to the darko audio podcast with me john darko and twittering machines is michael lavonia this episode was produced by nick mccorriston and music came from ben pitt